Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Pegasus Podcast presented by Night Sports Now. This is episode six, flowing through your ear holes as we're speaking. I am Bailey Adams, joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at by CA Simmons, and go ahead and throw Night Sports Now a follow at Night Sports Now. We're here to talk some UCF athletics, some UCF football coaching news, and then, of course, Terry Mohajer spoke on his scheduling philosophy on Mike Bianchi's show uh, earlier this week, and we'll wrap up with uh, some talk about UCF women's sports and the, the phenomenal run that they're currently on. First of all, Christian, how you doing tonight? Flowing through your ear holes? That's what yeah. we're opening with tonight? That's what we're opening with. It just felt right. Oh, boy. Well, I guess I feel great to be flowing through everyone's ear holes right now is how I feel to start this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> feeling good about that. And, yeah, there's a lot to talk about this week again. And, you know, it's, it's just a fun spring right now. There's a lot going on, and it's just nice because there's everything going on, and we're able to talk every week about something important. And it makes me realize that there's going to be a time this summer where there's just nothing really to talk about, man. There will never be nothing to talk. We, we do this every year. We're always like, yeah, I mean, listen, the April to like July stretch is pretty yeah. bad, but I'm confident we'll come up with things because that's all we ever do is come up with UCF things to talk about. So that is we'll, kind of true. We'll get through it. We'll find a way. Yeah. It's not like we just don't talk in between those months. So yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out for those months. But right now, um, you know, spring football is right around the corner and Gus Malzahn within nine days has hired his coaching staff. I'm just going to run through the names here real quick and, and their positions, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about these guys. So, of course, everybody knew a lot by the time we recorded last week, Gus had hired a defensive coordinator, Travis Williams. Uh, shortly around then that time, too, he hired Herb Hand as his offensive line coach. Then he brought in co-defensive coordinator slash secondaries coach David Gibbs. And strength and conditioning coach uh, or director of sports performance Chris Dawson came on shortly after that. And then these just started flowing through, like, very quickly – coming hot and hot and heavy uh, special teams coordinator and tight ends coach Brian Blackman uh, co-offensive coordinator slash running backs coach Tim Harris jr. Co-offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach GJ Kenny cornerbacks coach Addison Williams wide receivers coach Daryl Wyatt, who is being retained at UCF. I guess they, they say retained, but he did leave for a very short period of time. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and then he kind of rounded out the coaching staff defensive assistants, Kenny Martin and Kenny Ingram and Interesting to note, director of football ops, Sean Tui Jr. You might know that name from the blind side. So uh, definitely looks like a, a good staff that Gus Malzahn has put together. And, you know, I think there's a lot of guys to be really excited about. And it seems as of right now, I mean, so far, players seem to be excited about, you know, who's, who's come in so far specifically in terms of strength and conditioning and, and the fact that Daryl Wyatt's being retained. Uh, Christian, what, what were your like kind of what are your thoughts? What stands out to you? Who stands out to you on this staff? I mean, one that stood out to me immediately was honestly the strength coach, uh, Chris Dawson. Because also, I mean, Malzahn made like a big point about that that was like a major, major hire they had to make. And that's not surprising given the way that college football has gone. I know it's not a face that you necessarily see a lot and that like media aren't necessarily interviewing or it's right. not a big position, but it's like that, that's, a, that's, a key, that's a key position, obviously, that you need to fill. I mean, that's huge in modern college football. Mm -hmm. And they're paying him $400,000 which is a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's going to make him one of the highest paid strength coaches in the nation. I know that he interviewed with Alabama when they had an opening a couple years back. So, I mean, he's a super, super, and players are already tweeting about him today. A couple different players have tweeted about how much they like him. So that's, I mean, I, I know that's not a, that might not be a guy that we hear a ton about moving forward, but that to me was definitely one of the key hires. 
Yeah, and I think it, it was interesting because you talked about Malzahn, you know, putting an emphasis on that um, position on his staff. And he also talked, I think, in his opening press conference about making that one of the first hires. Like, he was wanting to do that as quickly as possible because, you know, of the importance of getting this guy in here and getting him working with the players because they got to ramp up pretty quickly here for spring ball, which is, is coming up in the next month or so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen so far from some of the players just tweeting about the workouts and some, some of the stuff we've seen through social media – Everybody seems to, to like him a lot. And another guy that everybody was very happy to see uh, on the staff is Daryl Wyatt, who, you know, was UCS receivers coach. And, you know, they abruptly left uh, back in January when Hypo was still here, obviously. Um, and he went to Auburn, correct? Uh, I don't think that, that ever got that far. I think, never that got that like, far? I think that was like the rumor of where he was going. But I don't think okay. he was. Okay, well, he – so he left. UCF hired um, – Cody Burns when Heupel was still here and then Heupel of course left to Tennessee and took Cody Burns with him and Malzahn came in and he retained Wyatt as the receivers coach and you know it's it's exciting because one I mean there's a that's that's one of the guys you would like to see be a, a holdover for the from the last staff to the current staff and it's a guy that receivers really really like and he's done a good job I mean if you look at UCS receivers over the last few years they've maintained the the stat the standard of excellence that they've put over you know, in the last in throughout the program's history, really. Yeah, I mean, receivers are obviously a huge, huge part of what UCF's done. I mean, you look back the last few years, and you start in let's start in 2017 because apparently that's when UCF's history started, according to some people. Um, I'm sorry, I'll just say that I, that's I, a conversation I, for another day. Really. I, I will interject. I'm upset because Otis Anderson tweeted right before we came on something about how it was a video from the Peach Bowl and was like, <laughs> "This is when the brand started," and I'm like, "Man, there were like there's a." Lots There's a topic right there for the summer. Before you there got really here. Is. Yeah, we'll have, a whole, we'll have a whole topic about that. Did you know that UCF won a Fiesta Bowl before UCF existed, apparently? It's crazy. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the receivers. I'm amazed I was able to figure out what I was talking about again. So we're talking about the receivers. Yeah, you go back and you start in 2017. Number one wide receiver was Traquan Smith. He's in the NFL now. Then you go to Gabe Davis. He's in the NFL now. Then you go to Marlon Williams. He's about to be in the NFL. I mean, it's like UCF just cranks out NFL wide receivers. And obviously, that's a key position for them because it's their most one of their most talented positions so I, if there had to be a position where you were going to keep some consistency it might as well be that one yeah I mean especially with the guys like because they're, they're having to replace quite a few guys at that position of course Gabe Davis is gone um, and Marlon Williams is gone Trey Nixon is gone and you're kind of having to figure out you know these young guys are gonna have to step up and I think it's going to help that you know these young guys have been working with Daryl Wyatt and he's still around so I think the fact that, you know, there's youth at the position that needs to step up and, and step into these big roles now to have that consistency, I think is going to be a, a pretty big key going into the 2021 season. And the players seem really excited about it on Twitter. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, and that's, that's big. And I know that for the most part, I know there are different, like for the most part, pr players would prefer to have the same coach. I mean, we've seen that. We saw with Troy Walters when he was the one frost guy that's right. going to mistake. We saw with Levy just recently. It's, you Shannon. Know, and Shannon, exactly. So, but yeah. either way, I just, it's never a bad thing to see a bunch because I, even with Shannon, it was like a couple of players said something. It was like the majority of the wide receivers coming back tweeted something about why it's staying. So, I mean, you always, yeah. that's a good thing to see. Yeah, they were all very excited about that. And I think just looking at the staff, it's, it's kind of interesting what, what we look at the, the titles that Malzahn's given these coaches. And we've talked a little bit about this, you know, over text and stuff and just kind of curious to, to see how. You know, there's there's two co-offensive coordinators, though Malzahn's the one to be calling the play. So he's technically like the offensive coordinator, but he has two co-offensive coordinators, but they also have position coaches, like the positions that they're coaching. So Tim Harris Jr. is coaching running backs. G.J. Kenny's coaching quarterbacks. The same thing on the defensive side of the ball where 
yet Travis Williams was named the defensive coordinator as like the first hire that Malzahn made. And then one of the, shortly after that, it was David Gibbs who came on as the secondary coach slash the co-defensive coordinator. And I think, I think we're in agreement on this, that it kind of just seems like, at least on the defensive side of the ball, Gibbs is a guy who's very experienced and he's going to be there to kind of help Travis Williams along as Travis Williams is, is kind of figuring everything out because, I mean, he's a first time defensive coordinator. So um, I think the fact that, that, that that's, I feel like that's why Gibbs kind of has that role. The thing on the offensive side of the ball is just kind of, kind of curious with, with Harris and Kenny as co-offensive coordinators joining Malzahn, who's calling the plays. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like that's pretty much what, I mean, obviously, like, I feel like we can pretty much safely say that Gus Malzahn is the offensive coordinator for all intents and purposes, you know, I mean, I feel, he's mm-hmm. said he's calling the plays and everything. And, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, he, I, I guess, so it's kind of where the UCF technically has four coordinators, I guess is how yeah. you would look at that. So I feel like it's safe to assume that that's more of a title than anything else. I, I yeah, I, it seems like T. Will is the main defensive coordinator. Cause it, yeah. my t- I mean, my reasoning for that as well is he's making a lot more money. That too, yeah. So I, I mean, clear then Gibbs is. So I feel so I feel like that uh plays a role there. At least he had a higher salary. So and they've said that he's going to call the defensive plays. I believe so. Yeah, it just seems like it's one of those. And it's it they're kind of building a staff, kind of like the Alabama staff, a little bit where it's yeah you've got a lot of titles, but that's because you've got a lot. It's basically just this big brain trust of good coaches, yeah. and and that's not really a staff that UCF has ever had assembled here. And it's not even necessarily a money thing because Malzahn came in under budget. They have leftover money. And their coaches pull right now. That's crazy to me that they built what I'm going to say right now, and I feel like it's not an unpopular opinion, on paper is probably just the straight-up best all-around coaching staff UCF has ever had. And we'll see if the results follow that. But to build a staff that's the best staff this school has ever had and has spent less money than was spent on the previous staff is kind of crazy. It is, it is crazy, especially when you like kind of just saw early on in the hires, when you saw how much money these coaches were making, it was like, it seemed like he's giving these guys some pretty big paydays. And to still come in under budget. I know you mentioned earlier that Dawson, the strength and conditioning coach, is you know, one of the higher paid uh, strength and conditioning coaches out there. And, you know, to, to be able to spend that much money on that position and kind of give these other guys, you know, what they, what they're do, but also to stay under budget. Like that's, that's a, a big key for, for Malzahn. I know they gave him a pretty sizable uh, salary pool, but yeah, to come under budget and to, to put together this staff that he put together, it's, it's pretty impressive. And I think we're going to see, you know, obviously, uh, once once comes to the on the field uh, results, what how how it turns out. But it looks right now, as of right now, we can say this is a very good staff. And not only I think you know in terms of the coaches themselves, but also the kind of recruiters they are. I think there's a lot of a lot of good recruiters um, on this staff, and we've already seen uh, former four star uh, Mark Anthony Richards came. Uh, he signed on with UCF, who's actually rumored to be interested. Or he had said he was interested in UCF before the old staff left. And then, of course, now that, uh, uh, you know, he's coming from Auburn, and the fact that Auburn's old coach is here kind of made that made, make sense. But, yeah, then also you look at the, the kind of guys that this staff is already recruiting or trying to recruit, giving offers to. And, yeah, I mean, they're, they're hitting it hard, and, and they're already coming up with uh, a lot of offers to these, some of these big guys and, and around the state of Florida. And you're just in that radius that Malzahn talked about in his opening press conference, which is just nice to see that they're focusing so much on Florida – and the states around Florida after Hypel staff really just didn't do that. What do you mean? UCF signed five whole players from the state of Florida in the 2021 <laughs> class. Were, were you expecting more given that UCF is in the middle of the state? That's kind of weird. But anyway, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, and I feel like it's been, it's been a little 
Alabama-centric so far, which I feel like isn't a ma- massive surprise since that's where Malzahn's coming from. But like you yeah. said, it's that whole six-hour radius thing. You have everybody you need right here. You absolutely do. And obviously, like, yeah, I, I, it's hyping fans up that, like, four and five stars are tweeting, like, blessed to receive an offer from UCF. And UCF's not going to get <laughs> these guys. They're not going to get most of them. They might be able to pull a, f- a few. But either yeah. way, I mean, like we said, this this is – a fantastic staff for recruiting. You've got a ton of super, super well-known recruiters and guys who are going to make things happen. And yeah, I fully expect under miles on that UCF's going to put up probably some of its best recruiting classes. I, I mean, I would totally expect that. And he, but to Heupel's credit, 2021 was, I believe statistically one of the best UCF classes ever. So, yeah, I, you know, and I, and I think the bigger thing with this staff is going to be the transfer market because that's just becoming such a massive thing. It's, it's free agency. It is. It's turning into free and it's going to be even more so in, the coming year when you don't even need to sit out a year anymore. I mean, COVID yeah. kind of already eliminated that, but, and if like SMU, I mean, SMU was a team that was bad for, I don't know, like 20, 25 years, which is a pretty long time to not be good at football. And their new coach came in and they basically built themselves with transfers. And if UCF can supplement the natural talent where they're at that furrow recruiting ground with the guys who are transferring down from power five, I'm not even going to say down, just transferring power five. That's when you can start building depth. And that's always been the difference between UCF and group of five teams and the big boys is the depth UCF, like the 2017 UCF team at the surface level, starting starters could have played with anybody. There's no doubt about that. And where you start to separate is just that depth of, you know, and we saw that in 2020, honestly, when so many guys opted out or went down and it just killed them. And so if you can start building to the point where you're really, you're really a deep team, that's when where Malzahn starts talking about playoff appearances or beating top 10 teams. That's where that really comes into play. So that's super exciting going forward. If they can sort of, merge those two things and I think they can because they have the staff for it between recruiting high school guys and getting high profile transfers yeah and I, I hope they do and I can see that happening too and we, we've seen it a little bit I know here and there with UCF in the last uh, few years or so I mean you saw Mike Hughes come from from North Carolina or after going to community college from North Carolina and then just most recently or not most recently but recently Jalen Robinson coming from Oklahoma you know, we've seen those guys here and there, but I think, like you said, if they put more of an emphasis on the transfer market, because that's the direction that college football is going, I think that that would be huge for UCF. And, and like you said, the depth that they can put together on a team, it's going to, it's just going to make them put, put them on another level, you know, compared to some of these other teams. And I think just the, how UCF sells itself and how this coaching staff appears to be selling UCF, it's going to get people excited. And I think they really are going to put together some really good recruiting classes. Yeah. And like what you just said is absolutely right. It's not like they're coming in. Like I just used SMU as an example. They had to come into SMU and basically say, we're in a market where a lot of players came from who might want to transfer home. Let's get going on that. UCF has been doing this for years. I mean, this is not like a new thing. So basically what I'm saying is it's so valuable because if you, it, the pipeline's already there, you just have to up it. And I feel like Malzahn has shown that he's capable of doing that. So that's, it's just really exciting. I, I mean, that I think will be bigger than anything. And I, and I do want fans to like, relax a little bit because like we talked about it's like Mackenzie Milton was what I think a three-star on 247 like a two-star on rivals I Mm either I mean so many guys Dylan Gabriel was pretty lightly recruited it was like the last week of his recruitment suddenly USC and Georgia were like wait a minute this guy might be a good quarterback he's committed to army so so I I just I don't want and then you've got on the flip side that you've got schools like Miami and Tennessee that are in the top 25 recruiting every year and are horrible at football so I don't want UCF fans to think that if UCF's recruiting numbers go up, that means suddenly that UCF's a better team because it's always, it's never just been about the stars, but either way, it's still being the school that can start keeping more guys who would be going to like 
I don't know, like the, the Iowa States and like Missouri. Right. It's like these lower level power five teams that, that come in and steal from Florida, grabbing those guys and maybe even sneaking a few from Florida and FSU. That's where you, that's where you really see the value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last thing on this really is, it is about that. It's, I, I kind of want to make sure and personally, I'm doing this myself is checking myself on like seeing all these four and five star guys. And like, I don't, I've never been a big recruiting rankings guy. I've never been a stars guy have really just kind of been like, you know, get, getting good players and their stars don't matter. You know, some of these guys are going under the radar and just not getting their stars. And that's why I feel like the majority of the UCF fan base and, and UCF in general just hasn't always been about, you know, top, you know, top recruiting class. And it's been about, you know, getting these guys, developing these guys and kind of coming from under the radar. So I don't want the, the focus and, you know, everybody to all of a sudden just care so much more about the recruiting rankings and all that because, you know, it's still at the, at the surface, it's, it's UCF's, you know, thing is, it's just that you fly under the radar and, you know, you come up and you beat these teams with, with guys. And it's not about, you know, all, all the stars coming here. And I'll give the cautionary tale there of Cordarian Richardson. Yeah. Who was in the class of 2017, he was a four star. It was a big deal that UCF got him. He was, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think he was the second or third highest rated recruit ever to yeah, come to UCF. And he, transferred because he couldn't get playing time <laughs> because yeah. he was stuck behind a bunch of two and three stars like yeah. and uh, little, you know greg mccray time. and otis anderson <laughs> yeah the, I mean, greg McCray, that's the thing greg mccray was a walk-on like yeah, that's exactly. why that's why you know you see some of these key contributors for ucf you know they were not these big like four or five star guys none of them none of them were and and so yeah i, I think you if you pay too much attention to that you're kind of forgetting you know it doesn't matter it's, it's not you know the stars isn't everything and it really, you know, it's, it's a talking point. It's why people are obsessed with the recruiting, like, you know, recruiting and uh, signing day and all that stuff. People get really hyped up about it. And I understand it to an extent, but at the same time, you know, these are people's opinions, putting these five, like these stars on people, these are people's opinions on, you know, a little bit of what the tape they saw or what they saw them do in like spandex and a tank top on a, like at a, at a, what's it called? A recruiting, what are those things called? Camps, at camps. There you go. Like that's what a lot of it, a lot of it is. And so I think it's before we get too hyped up and like, oh, what's UCS recruiting ranking going to be? How many four stars are we going to get? Before we do all that, I think as a fan base, I think it's important to remember that's not the end all be all. And that's, and I, I just kind of want to avoid that letdown too, because I've, I've, I've seen it, not a ton, but I have seen some UCF fans being like, wow, I really feel like we could have like a top 25 class, top 30 class. That you just don't do that as a group of five, like I'm, and you don't need to. But I, I just, I hope that we don't get to the point where come next year people are upset with Malzahn. Like, say UCF, I don't know, ha- ends up with like the fifty-first, fifty-second class next year nationally, and is like second in AAC. That'd be great. That that's yeah. perfect. That's all they need. But I could see UCF fans being like, "What happened? Like, why did all these five and four stars not come here?" You know. <laughs> And what I do you mean they want to go to Alabama or LSU or, or Clemson <laughs> instead of UCF? Well, it's not, it's not even that because I, I, I feel like UCF fans have to be prepared that you're going to see a four-star where you're going to be like, well, yeah, that guy would per- – exa- of course he would want to come here. He's a wide receiver. He'll fit in perfectly. And then he goes to Iowa. And, yeah. and it's going to be like, why would he do that? And it's just, you know, that just that kind of happens. And I just hope that – I think we'll see more of those guys, especially if UCF's winning over the next couple of years staying in Orlando. But I just hope that UCF fans don't think that – it's like a switch has flipped and now we're capable of recruiting like a power five school. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to kind of shift gears here a little bit and go, go down to something you said, something you referenced earlier about uh, what Malzahn said about beating the uh, Malzahn said about beating those top 10 teams and, you know, playoff appearances and all that. And you were, you were very intent on bringing this up on this podcast. And uh, earlier this week, Terry Mohajer spoke 
on Mike Bianchi's show and talked about uh, a variety of things, but scheduling philosophy was one of the big ones. And Christian, I'm just going to give you the floor and let you take this away, explain what he said. And I know you have some, some opinions on it. So we're going to get into that. That was Bailey's very polite way of saying, I want to go on a rant. So uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Go. I, 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 I feel like I need to preface this because I don't want people to take it out of context that I still think I'm still beyond happy. Mahajer is the AD and I think he was an awesome hire and I, I don't think they could have done better. And I'm so excited for what he can do here. But um, I wasn't a big fan of a lot of what he said on Bianchi's show. He, uh, first off, I think he must have misspoke because at one point he said he's stressing about 2022 and getting games. UCF already has three games on schedule for 2022. It's uh, Georgia Tech, Louisville, and FIU. So I'm assuming the fourth will just be an FCS opponent. So I assume he probably meant 2023 because let, let me tell you, that was Danny White's one. He was a great AD and that was his one big failing was UCF's schedule is so light. At like a year out 2023 they only have two games you go a couple years out there are just years where there's just nothing on the schedule and Mahajra was basically talking about that he's starting to panic a little bit and they might have to do some things they don't like and they're willing to do whatever they have to do at one point he said like if we have to play at the same place on the road five years in a row we will and he talked about the importance of beefing up the schedule I have a couple thoughts on that first off UCF is not a program that I know he was just kind of joking around but UCF is just not ever a program that should have to play five years on the road at the same place UCF has grown past that. They're better than that. They're not that program. My other bigger concern, and I was worried about this when Malzahn said it in the press conference, and UCF fans are going to disagree with me, and that's fine because you're probably right. I'm just being the way I am. I'm concerned about UCF building a schedule that's too tough for itself because I know that it's Malzahn's big goal. Big, big goal. I don't believe a group of five team is going to ever make the playoff. Let's say that you get, I don't know, three top 25 power five teams on the schedule, which will never happen, but let's say you do and you beat them all. They're just going to throw it, and you go undefeated. They're just going to throw at you, well, you didn't play the grind of a Power 5 schedule. Anyone can rise up for three games, blah, 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 blah. They're never, I just don't believe in a four-team model, a group of five team ever makes the playoff. So I worry that what UCF is doing is positioning itself to not be successful when we have an eight-team playoff in a few years with an automatic group of five bid. I think that because the way the committee has always looked at a group of five teams, they don't care about strength of schedule, they don't care about wins, they just say that one's undefeated, that one gets to be in. So I'm worried about UCF playing these really tough out-of-conference schedules that set them up for 9-3 and three and 10-2 and two seasons when they should be doing what they do now. Playing a couple Power 5 teams, playing a group of five team in-state, playing an FCS, setting yourself up on a schedule that's not easy, but that gives you the chance to go undefeated. Because the AAC is not an easy conference. And I just, I don't like the idea of UCF setting itself up for a lot of seasons where you're coming into conference play 2-2. Two and two. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you for the, for the most part. I think the only counterpoint I'd have, and I don't know if this is just playing devil's advocate, but say they do build this like really tough schedule and, and the argument all along, it hasn't been like, Oh, you know, it has, against like, for against putting a, a group of five team in the playoff, the argument all along is, Oh, it's like, if they have a strong enough schedule, you know, they'll get better consideration. And everybody points to that Houston team from what was that? 20, was that 2015? 2016, which I won't contest that because. Okay. So, but that's what they, they point. So they point to that and they say, if they would have run the table, like if they would have played, you know, run the table and you know, they would have been given a stronger consideration. That's the one they always point to. So if you're UCF, maybe you do, you call, you schedule all of these, you know, tough opponents, you call their bluff. If you do run the table and they still move the goalposts from there and say, oh, like whatever excuse they come up with, then that's when I'm like, okay, there really is, there's no way a group of five team, but we haven't seen a group of five team, you know, if, if that Houston team had gone undefeated and gotten left out, I would be completely on your side here, but that's my only kind of counterpoint is that maybe they do put together one of these schedules 
they you know they're fortunate enough to run the table because it's really hard to go undefeated it's really really hard people don't even people look at 2017 UCF and say oh I didn't play anybody it's still really hard to go undefeated no matter who you play so you know if they're fortunate enough to do that against a really good schedule and they're still left out then we really really know you know there's just no way a group of five teams ever getting put in the playoff so let's talk about 2016 Houston because I fight with people on Twitter about this a lot because that is the playoff committee chair, multiple playoff committee chairs now always pull that line. Well, if that 2016 Houston team, it's complete and utter BS. It's a stupid talking point and it's complete BS. Let's look at 2016 Houston. In 2015, they went 13 and one. They won the Peach Bowl. They beat FSU. They started the season ranked number 15. Number 15, which is crazy high. I'd point out UCF went undefeated and I think started number 21. Yeah. So th- that already they had great. a new coaching staff, Christian. Oh, you're right. I forgot. And Houston <laughs> had Tom Herman coming back. So of course, cause that's the only thing that matters. Houston <laughs> opens the year. We all know they played number three, Oklahoma at a neutral site and they beat them by 10. They jumped from 15 to number six, number six, a week into the season. And everyone's like, Oh, they're in the playoff debate. Let's look at how the rest of that played out. Okay. They played an FCS and beat them by 42. They stayed at number six. They went to Cincinnati and beat them 40 to 16. They stayed at number six. They played Texas State. It was a pretty bad group of five. They beat them 64 to three. They stayed at number six. Then they went and played UConn. They beat them 42 to 14. They stayed at number six. Then, thank God, Houston lost by six and they dropped in the 13. And that was that. They stonewalled them a week into the season. So, this notion that, oh, well, if they had just gone undefeated, I'd also point out the final playoff team that year was 12 and one Washington and won the Pac 12. There is no situation that a one loss Power Five champion was being left out in favor of an undefeated number five team. It's complete BS, and I hate that they use that as a talking point because that was never, ever going to happen. Well, and this is kind of where I kind of think about that, too, is they do use that as a talking point a lot, and they point to that season and that schedule. And, you know, Terry Mohajer is, you know, has a seat on the college football playoff committee. And so I know they use that as a talking point, but maybe that is the discussion that they've had, and he knows that and thinking, you know, if we're going to ever get to that point, this is how we're going to schedule. And the thing is, like, I, I still don't agree. Like, I don't agree they shouldn't be playing anywhere, you know, on the road five years in a row. And I think that was a little bit of hyperbole on his part, obviously, and, and was kind of tongue in cheek a little bit, but it, it has been, you know, a, a departure from what Danny White was saying about, you know, uh, you know, no, not taking two for ones, you know, we're not taking two for ones and Mohajer said, you know, if it's the right situation, we'll do it. And I think to an extent, like, I'm like, oh, that'd be, cause it would put together a fun schedule. But as if your goal, if you're saying like, like you're saying, give yourself the best shot to win the AAC and, you know, get that uh, new year's six game then, you know, his scheduling philosophy is kind of, you know, giving you a dangerous, dangerous proposition. Because if you, if you do fall short in those, um, in those non-conference games and then you lose a, a conference game, you know, you're putting yourself in a bad situation to finish with a pretty average record. Yeah, and like I said, it's fine for people to disagree with me on this because I recognize I'm in the minority and, may, and maybe my opinion is just wrong. But I think at the end of the day, it's just because we have different goals. I think that UCF's goal should be to be undefeated every year. And because if it doesn't matter what schedule UCF plays, UCF could play at a conference. They could do FIU, FAU, and two FCSs. If they go undefeated and they're the only undefeated group of five, they'll go, they'll be in the New Year's Six game. I mean, because they just mm-hmm. don't care about New Year's Six schedules or for group of five schedules for that New Year's Six bid. And I just think that in a few years, we're moving to eight teams. Everyone knows that. It's like the worst kept secret in the world. <laughs> Everyone knows there's almost certainly going to be an automatic group of five bid. And I just hate if we just ended up scheduling all these games we don't need now where Cincinnati is playing Miami, Ohio and cruising to 11 and one and 12 and 0 seasons while UCF stuck playing at Florida and all these games that they just can't realistically win every year. And they're maybe they're playing well in conference, but it doesn't matter because they don't have the record to beat out other teams for that bid. 
Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm mostly with you. I just, I, with that counterpoint, I was kind of thinking, you know, if they're going to try to call, if, if they're looking at it as a 14 playoff, they're not, you know, looking into the future and seeing the 18 playoff. If they're looking at it right now and saying, we're going to call their bluff and we're going to, you know, schedule all these te- all these games. We're going to win all of them. We're going to beat these top 10 teams, all whatever you put on your schedule and, you know, try to keep us out then. At that point, I think that's what they're saying is that, you know, try keeping us out going undefeated with a, with a really beefed up schedule. Because I guess that it can be the argument that, like, it's, it's more like a fan base argument. It's that you see this kind of stuff on Twitter that, oh, 2017, 2018 UCF, they didn't play anybody, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just – if you, if you beef up the schedule, and that, that argument, I think, holds a little bit of weight. Because I know, like I said, it's hard to go undefeated. You know, barely any teams do it. There's a reason for that. But if you look at, you know, the schedule, if you do look at the non-conference games, and if this is some of its luck, too, is, is you're scheduling these games out in advance so far. I think when they scheduled North Carolina, which neither of those games ended up happening, but when they scheduled North Carolina, they were, like, a top-tier ACC team. They were coming off some really good years, and then all of a sudden they were back to going 3-9. and nine. So it's they really a lot of it is, Georgia Tech as well. The yeah. offseason they scheduled Georgia Tech, they just gone to the Orange Bowl. A lot of it is luck. And that's that's the part that kind of, you know, screwed UCF back in 17 and 18. But I think when you do look at those schedules and you say, okay, they could have played some better teams, and that is the argument that people are using against UCF, I'm thinking maybe UCF's kind of say, okay, we'll schedule the teams. We'll we'll hear you out. We'll schedule the teams. And if they beat them, you know, you got to put us in the playoff because we're doing what you said was the parameters, you know, to do. That's why you didn't keep us. That's why you didn't put us in the four, uh, final four for all those years, those couple years. You know, we're going to do what we can to, to schedule those games and then give you no other choice than to put us in. I guess my main thing, and UCF fans are going to disagree with me because I'm also, I'm just making myself out to be a, I, I'm realizing UCF that fans disagree with you on everything. I, like, I think that's the things. thing in like, very yeah. few things. I don't know what I'm doing. But um, the one other thing I'll say is because I just don't want UCF fans to misconstrue this as me being like UCF can't beat top 10 teams. Like, that's not what I'm saying. It's just no one can beat top 10 teams regularly. I know UCF's capable of it, but if you have those teams on the schedule of year, you're not going to win all those games. And I guess if their strategy going forward is we're going to play, which first off, I'm still a little hesitant because I'm not sure how many in and out year in and year out top 10 teams are lining up to schedule UCF. Yeah. (laughs) But um. If that's the case, fine, but then you have to rethink the, less, the rest of the schedule. Like, I, I would rather, if it's two mid-tier Power 5 teams now, then I wouldn't want to switch to two mid-tier Power 5 teams plus a top 10. Then I would yeah. want to see, like, a top 10, then you're still playing your FCS game, a group of five team, because you just, I just don't want them to stack the schedule to the point that they're p- putting their backs up against the wall. And yeah, like no, I said, I'm just kind of, we haven't, he hasn't super clarified the game-by-game plan going forward, so maybe I'm just discussing a problem that's not going to exist but those are just my fears from some of the stuff he said yeah and there's a reason i think we can end on this for this topic there's a reason that the sec other than i guess alabama cannibalizes itself every year because when you play really really good teams you know week in and week out you know you're you're going to end up with two or three losses most of the time so i think that's kind of what you're saying is that you're gonna you're when they go to eight 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 teams for the playoff if you've got these really really tough games in non-conference and then you've still got those tough conference games with you know, your Cincinnati's, your Memphis's, your maybe Houston by then, I don't know. But if you've got those tough games on top, you're going to end up the season usually 9-3, and three, you know, 10-2, and 11-1, 10 and 2 usually at best. I feel like the, the second, second level uh, SEC teams, not second level, but the non-Alabamas, 10-2 and two is usually like a really good year. 
Yeah. Well, maybe, and, not, and, and maybe not in their eyes of their fan base. No, but, it will. I, an SEC team, like a group of five team finishes ranked 10 and two, they're unranked. A big 12 yeah. team finishes 10 and two, they're like maybe 15. SEC team that goes 10 and two is like eighth. <laughs> like it's, You're usually getting a New Year's Six Bowl at 10 and two. In absolutely, the in the SEC. Yeah. And, and I think, and, and this is a statement that some people make fun of, but the AAC is the SEC of the group of five. It's absolutely <laughs> the toughest group of five conference yeah. by a mile. And I just... I know that that schedule isn't respected nationally, but for UCF fans, even when UCF's at its best, it's not a schedule you can breeze through. Look at 2017. SMU almost beat UCF. Navy almost beat UCF. It's a really freaking tough league. And I just hope that we're not discounting that, that it's not like if you play the out-of-conference games, then you'll just breeze through the AAC. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of good programs. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we'll, we'll move off because I'm sure there's going to be these these kind of topics that will, will reemerge, I think, as Mohajer kind of, goes through and does the scheduling that he needs to do because like you said there are some some openings down the line that Danny White kind of just left open and was just like oh we'll figure it out when we get there and that's not really how scheduling goes these days so we'll see what what he kind of gets out on the schedule and and we'll break it down when that comes but kind of shifting into our final final big topic of, of this episode six and we really just want to give you know a lot of a lot of love to you know the UCF women's teams right now are just they're going off they're really going off right now and we'll, we'll kind of go through little bit on each but we'll talk first women's basketball right now they're 12 and 2 10 and 1 in the AAC with you know serious tournament hopes um you know they're not receiving any top 25 votes and I think that's just the nature of you know having played only 14 games and and you know being in the AAC all that stuff but if you look at the ESPN bracketology they're projected as one of the last four teams in um they're the number they would be the number 11 seed in region four with a projected matchup against six seed at South Dakota State so and UCF, they're ending on the season, you know, next week, the regular season ends. And, you know, they, this Saturday, they've got Temple. Then they play, you know, number 13, South Florida, back-to-back games. They play them on Tuesday. Then they play them on Thursday. And South Florida's 14-1, and 11-0 in the AAC. They're ranked 13th. And their only loss this season was to number seven, Baylor. So South Florida, that's a good team. And I think you take, you know, I think we talked about this uh, we might have mentioned it last week. I'm not sure if we did, but I think you take two out of those three games, you're kind of solidifying your your tournaments, your tournament hopes. Yeah, without a doubt. If you beat USF once, I, mean, yeah. I, I think they'll be in the tournament. And I, I just hope that fans. I know we're going to talk about some sports that you see, not the average UCF fan might not keep up with as much. But man, you want a war on I four game that matters. It's it's the series. I mean, the it, and we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, but now with UConn out of the AAC. In women's basketball, it's very much positioning itself in a way that UCF and USF are going to year in and year out vie for the crown of that conference. I mean, Absolutely. that's so freaking cool. That's like that's always been the dream, right? Is UCF and USF playing these meaningful, massive games against each other? And I'm so excited yeah. that we're getting a couple of those. Women's basketball. I mean, ever since Abe took over, that program's just been rising and rising and rising. And they this would be their second trip to the tourney with her. Uh, we don't really know what would have happened last year since COVID had to come in and cancel everything. Thanks again, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, also I, you know, I would love to go check out one of those games, but Bailey and I have just been one by one sinking UCF sports teams by <laughs> attending them in person. First we ruined baseball. Then we ruined softball last night. We'll get to that in a second. So I, we're just going to not for the, for the good coach, Abe, UCF women's basketball team. You're welcome for us not going to the game and that you get to have a good season because we're not going to ruin it for you. We're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, uh, it, it was interesting because a couple of weeks ago we talked about, you know, women's basketball had this little COVID break where they had, you know, issues within the, the program and they had a few games postponed or canceled. And we saw what happened to the men's team when that happened to them. 
and we were kind of hoping, you know, hopefully this doesn't derail the women's team like it, like it did the men's. And it just definitely hasn't. They've, they keep winning. You know, they're putting themselves in a good position to go to the tournament. And, of course, there is, you know, there's these three games left in the regular season. And then there's the AAC tournament. So they really have, you know, some room here to establish themselves as, like, a serious tournament team rather than one of the last four teams in. I think right now I feel like they're one of the last four teams in, you know, based on maybe the record. and Because their schedule, I think, hasn't had the same kind of, you know, weight on it as – as South Florida's maybe has, and it's so you're 12 and two. That's that's just a good that's a good record. 10 and one in your conference, and you know, like you just mentioned with UConn gone, you know, 10 and one conference record. You're looking at that as like that's a that's a top tier that's a top tier team in the conference every single year. And those are the kind of records. Not say we can only expect one loss in the conference every year, but you know, we're going to see some pretty strong records and strong seasons from UCF women's basketball going forward. And obviously, we already we already are. And that's, that just goes back to ever since Coach Abe got here, she's, you know, turned this program around and turned it into a, you know, a top contender. And I hope she never leaves. I pray she never leaves. I still don't really <laughs> even understand what she did. That program was horrible. It was maybe UCF's worst program when she came in. And it wasn't like she had to build it up. It was like year one. They were back to yeah. like no, winning 20 games. I, I, I really, it's crazy. It's freaking crazy. But yeah, I'm really excited. I, I really hope they get into the tournament. I suspect they will because they really just need to take a couple of those games. Plus, and even if they don't, we'll see what they can do in the conference tournament. I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah. We, could, we could be looking at we could be looking at the first conference title one on Terry Mohodger's watch as AD. We could, and, yeah. And he'll, no. and he'll get all the credit. Um, <laughs> so that's really yeah. exciting. Yeah, and it's definitely exciting, exciting times for them. And, and we'll see. You know, next week's a huge week with, with the two South Florida games. And, you know, going to keep our eyes on those for sure. And you know, kind of moving moving gears into the volleyball. Volleyball's eight and zero. They're two and zero in the AAC, and you know they're just rolling right along as well. They've you know they've won back to back AAC championships, and you know they're they're on pace and on track to you know compete for one again this year. Right now, they have fourteen votes in the coaches' poll, so they're not ranked in the top twenty-five, but you know they're they're right there on the edge. Um, you know they're just they're playing well. They they're not really struggling with any teams. They're just putting them away like they should be. And McKenna Melville is leading the way uh, as expected. You know I think she's a shoe in at this point for a uh, conference player of the year. And, you know, they, they're playing at Florida state on Friday, which is a, a big game. And they had two games against Miami that they were supposed to play this weekend. Um, those were canceled. And, you know, Todd Dash and I said, you know, we're hoping to, to get these, to get a game to replace these. And, you know, they went and they said, okay, we're going to play Florida state. So they're going on the road to play Florida state who, you know, is usually good every year. You know, last, the last time I think UCF played Florida state was in the NCAA tournament and UCF beat them. And right now, you know, you look at their record, they're three and three, but those three losses, two of them were to number 12, Georgia Tech, and one of them was to number 11, Miami. So this is, you know, this is no doubt a good team. You know, they beat number one, number 11, Miami as well, 3-1. So this is a good team. And, you know, despite the fact that they're you know, three and three, this is a big game for UCF to potentially, you know, extend their record to nine and zero, and, you know, get back into the conference schedule with, with a lot more confidence. Yeah, they're fun, man. They're fun. They're like the one team where I'll just throw them on and have my laptop when I'm just doing something else because, I mean, they're just they're just a really fun team to keep up with and watch play. Yeah. And they're right now, they're on 8-0. That's their best start since 1983, and, uh, <laughs> which, is, which was a long time ago, folks. And, a little uh, bit. You know, yeah, I wasn't even close to being alive. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, if they, uh, if they win against FSU that will tie 1983 if they win again then they are off to their best start ever and I can totally see them doing it FSU is usually a pretty good program I guess they're having a bit of a down year right now um which you know happens with COVID and everything but yeah it, it's just another one of those teams that I don't know how much the average fan keeps up with but Dagenet has just had them consistently 
as one of the top teams in the AAC, if not the top team in the AAC, and it's just had them rolling yeah. and rolling for years now. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, just being able to throw them on your laptop when you're doing something else. Like, there, there's not a team that you really have to stress about right now. You know, like, you put on men's basketball, you put on baseball. We'll talk about them later a little bit. But, you know, you put on some of these teams, and you're, like, kind of just the whole time, like, oh, my God. Like, and you're kind of worrying about the outcome. With volleyball, it's just like, this is fun. Like, I'm just going to have sit back, yeah, watch you, volleyball for a couple hours. Do you know how much I and... miss having to half – like, being able to half pay attention to UCF sports? Like, UCF yeah. football, it used to be like, oh, this is great. And then, like, the third quarter, you're like, okay, I'm kind of like – Volleyball yeah. is the only sport that I don't have to like commit my heart rate and everything to. <laughs> like I could just relax, have my laptop, having a good time. Basketball, basketball is terrifying. Yeah. Football is terrifying. It's just ba- baseball. It's just sad. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's a fun time. Yeah. So I mean, definitely. And Todd Dagenet has been doing it year in and year out. He's been here since 08 and just, it has, has that program at, at the top of its game all the time. So always, always great to see that softball is off to a a good start of their own too and you know they've uh just recently on on wednesday lost to number 20 missouri six to five christian and i were at that game and i want to go back we i don't think we can be blamed for that game i don't think we absolutely can be blamed. first we did baseball yes no 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 no, no. how are you not gonna say that's because it was a six five game it was a good game you know they fell behind five oh if if they would have lost like 10 to nothing they were on pace they lost they were down five nothing in the second inning and I was thinking, okay, this is a problem. And that's when you tweeted. That's when you tweeted that tweet. But then they they bounced back with a five spot in the third inning and got right back in the game. And you know they just they couldn't get it done. You know they couldn't muster up any offense after that. But I'm I'm not blaming us for that. So you're saying um, it's not our fault because they only almost won. I'm just saying it. They played they played well. It was a good game, and they just barely lost to a top twenty team. I'm I'm not blaming us. All right, here's what we'll I'm do. Not, we'll, we'll do an experiment. We'll pick a UCF game. I don't know what sport yet to go to this week. And if they lose, then we'll know for sure that it's our fault but if they win then we're vindicated i, I guess so i mean i don't know i'm, I'm not i'm not, I, I told i told you when they when you tweeted that i was like the people don't need this information because you were not happy with me <laughs> no they're gonna unfairly blame us because it's and our yes, fault everyone i have renewed my season tickets for football so i'm gonna get that out there now you heard it here you well, heard it here first fault. folks oh and 12 season in 2021 because bailey adams I'll renewed his transfer game. somewhere else even though i don't go here anymore I did graduate, but anyway, so softball, softball is six and two and they've got a series against McNeese state coming up this weekend. And, you know, no disrespect to McNeese state, but I think those are, those are games that UCF should be able to take care of kind of like they did against New Mexico state last weekend. And and you're looking at a a nine and two record through 11 games, pretty, pretty good. And, you know, going back to that New Mexico state series, you know, they just pummeled them 18 to one on Friday, 11 to two on Saturday, eight to two on Sunday. And on Sunday, Aaliyah White, uh, she earned her 81st career win, which she's now the program's new all-time leader. So congratulations to her. She's, I mean, before this season was a legend for UCF softball and and decided to take advantage of that COVID year and come back. Um, And, you know, she's got that record now and the team's playing well. And, you know, they're going to be making a push for for the AAC and for the the tournament. And, you know, we're going to be excited to watch that as the season unfolds. Um, Women's soccer, they're, you know, they're only two games into their season, but they're looking like the same, you know, steady team they always are. They beat Cincinnati on Sunday 1-0. They're 2-0 on the year now. The the winner came in the 85th minute by Ellie Moreno, and then she was named the AAC Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, a couple other players in the AAC Weekly Honor Roll, and UCF's just outside of the top drawer soccer top 25 rankings. So, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, these other, other seasons, of course, women's basketball is nearly finishing theirs, um, having a great year. Volleyball is already out to 8-0 start. Softball, 6-2, and they're doing well. You know, women's soccer, you know, the record doesn't look as impressive, but you kind of can see that they're on the same kind of trajectory. They're kind of on the same track that they always are. 
And, you know, that's, that's always good to see, you know, Tiffany Roberts, the Haydack has turned that program into a contender year in and year out. So really excited to see what, you know, the rest of their season, how that unfolds. Maybe we'll get out to a women's soccer game. Maybe we'll do that. I don't know though. Cause women's soccer, that's the one where like you can lose a game like that you outplay the other team and we'll get blamed for it. And so I don't know, maybe soccer is not a great. You and I, I was looking at their schedule right now. You, you and I have the same opinion there. Cause I was thinking women's soccer would be next too, but we don't, we don't, I don't have to. I don't like this becoming a thing. Like, this isn't Well, let's make it not a thing. We'll go to a game this week. Let me see when women's soccer plays next. And if they win, then we know it's not a thing. And if they lose, we just know to stop. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about all this. While you, while you look up their next game, we'll, we'll kind of just wrap up this, this little segment here. And women's tennis, you know, another, another women's team at UCF doing some big things. Um, you know, they're off to a, a really good start as well. They're seven and two. They, you know, they dropped their first two games to number 16 and number eight. And, you know, UCF is, is used to kind of competing with some of those top teams. So they go 0 and two. And then since then, they've won seven straight. They won, you know, two wins over number 21, Florida, and then wins over Old Dominion and Miami, who are both receiving uh, votes, top 25 votes. And uh, just today on Thursday, as we're recording a couple hours ago, they beat TCU five to one on the road. And, you know, as UCF's number 18 in the ITA poll, and they'll play number two Texas next. So UCF women's tennis joining all the other women's sports and, and really, you know, putting it out there and, and putting on for UCF, really just, you know, making a name for themselves and, you know, doing really well. Okay, so I have a plan. Oh, boy. Um, so women's soccer isn't, isn't back home until mid-March. Um, so oh. I'm not worry about that one. But men's soccer team does play memphis at home next weekend now hear me out if they lose it's not our fault because they're already bad but if they win we can claim that we saved men's soccer season that that plan isn't as bad as i thought it was going to be I told, i'm good at the plan i'm good at the plan i'll give you that i was scared for what that was going to be but <laughs> i think i think what we'll say i'm going to stay i'm going to remain committed to the fact that none of this is our fault you know, the, the opener for baseball, that was, you know, they didn't have Greg Lovelady. We'll get to that in a second. But Yeah, because baseball is a sport. There. We're not baseball. having your coach is going to really make a difference. Okay, you know what? We're not talking about that now. But <laughs> baseball, we were only there, and we're kind of, I'm kind of exposing us here, but we were only there for two innings. Yeah, but that's because there. it was freezing cold no, and that's we what got I'm drenched. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we were there. We were freezing cold. We had gotten soaked because we sat in the rain waiting for the game to start because, I don't know, we didn't want to go under and pack in with all these people. But – I don't know if you can blame them losing on us being there for two innings. I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm saying that we're, you know, we're vindicated already and we don't even need your plan because we're fine. That's, that's my, yeah, take. I do agree. You're right. It's not our fault because we only went there for two innings and through two innings, UCF was only down four to nothing. So yeah. And then they came back and tied it. So technically, so if you're a pitcher and you go down four nothing and then your team comes back and ties it and then you end up losing later in the game, but you like you were tied or whatever at one point, and someone else loses the game, you don't get the loss for that. So we got a no decision in that game. Is your argument really that when we left, they came back and tied it? And that's your argument huh? that it's not our fault, that after we left, they tied the game? Well, no, I mean, it was a bad start, but they, you know, they came back and tied it, and then they lost the game while we weren't there. So it's not our fault. We got a no decision. Okay. I'm sticking to that. Sure. We're moving into the new section because we're probably running way over on our expected time here. But, you know, all, one last thing, you know, just the, the women's sports, you know, all of them, really uh, outdoing the men's right now because you kind of look at what to be excited about, what to be happy about in UCF athletics right now. And, you know, they're all the women's teams. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting to, to see how that's going and all those programs, you know, really big things ahead, really important times in their seasons ahead. So 
we're excited about that. And, you know, we're going to wrap up with the news and, and football. There's not a ton other than all the coaching staff, um, all the coaching staff hires, but they did announce on Monday, despite the fact that we have no idea what is going to be going on with COVID by then, but they announced on Monday that 84% of their season tickets are sold out. So that's exciting, even though they might have to eventually give people their money back or change their plans again. I don't nope, know. We're going to be full capacity. Oh yeah. I'm speaking. You heard it here first. Well, yep. speaking into existence. Breaking news, everybody. Credit Christian Simmons of the <laughs> Pegasus podcast. Make sure you get the podcast name in there. Um, defensive back, Devontae Dawson. He's back after opting out of the 2020 season. And we saw a picture of him, you know, working out with, uh, with a team, you know, in their training facility, which is so nice. Their training facility is beautiful. It's really I can't nice. believe it. It's so nice. Um, and men's basketball, they, uh, they're actually on – and I just kind of talked about how none of the men's teams are that exciting right now. But men's basketball is kind of on a nice run right now. They've uh, kind of bounced back after some tough losses. And even the, even the games they're losing are really tight games and they're playing well. They beat Tulane 84-81 last Saturday. So they're now 8-11, 6-10 in the AAC as they go into their final three games of the season next week. Isaiah Adams was named the AAC Offensive Player of the Week. Last week, he had 11 points in 14 minutes in the win over South Florida, and then he had a career-high 26 points uh, against Tulane on Saturday. Darius Perry was also named to the AAC's weekly honor roll. Uh, men's soccer, which we referenced earlier, they lost 2-1 to one, uh, to South Florida on Saturday. They're now 1-2 and two on the year, and, and, you know, that was a game they, they outshot the Bulls, you know, most of the game and just managed to, you know, they lost it anyway. It's kind of the way it goes sometimes, um, but, you know, they'll, they'll hope to bounce back coming up against Tulsa, trying to get some revenge against Tulsa this weekend. Baseball, as we, as we mentioned, they lost two out of three uh, to FAU on opening weekend. They lost 12 to six on Friday, 20 to 15 on Saturday, and 15 to six on, uh, they won 15 to six on Sunday. And, you know, after we thought, oh, you know, they, they lost two out of three, but maybe they'll be, they'll be kind of back on track. They lost seven to nothing to Stetson on Tuesday. So they're now one and three on the year. Um, and, you know, those four games happened. Greg Lovelady was not in the dugout for those games. He unfortunately tested positive for COVID-19 uh, last week, and he has been out. I guess the plan, according to Coach Ted Tom – or interim coach Ted Tom, assistant, his assistant, um, the plan is for Lovelady to be back this weekend. So looks like he's recovered and he's all good. Happy news there. Um, men's tennis, they won 7 nothing over UNF last Saturday. So they're now 3-2 and two on the year, and they stayed at number 19 in this week's ITA poll. Women's golf, they, uh, they, they had a first-round lead at the, at the Gator Invitational in Gainesville. Then after the day two, they were tied for second. So, you know, still looking in pretty good shape. And they ended up finishing after the final round. They finished in seventh. So a tough finish for them. Um, you know, they fell to number 25 in this week's golfstat.com rankings. And finally, the final piece of news before we get to the schedule is that uh, the rowing team, their schedule has been announced. They're starting this Saturday. And I know we've, we've kind of talked about how schedules have been kind of we've been waiting on schedules all the time for all these different teams and then you know it kind of seems late to release the schedule this week and then say oh yeah by the way we're starting on Saturday against Tennessee uh they're finishing up they finish up the schedule with the AAC championships on May 16th and the the schedule the road ahead before uh before we go record our next podcast there's a lot going on with basketball as we mentioned men's basketball will play Saturday against Temple Tuesday against Tulsa and then Thursday at ECU to close out their regular season Women's basketball is, of course, they're playing Temple. Then they have the two games against South Florida next week. Volleyball Friday at Florida State. Men's soccer is back on the pitch uh, at Tulsa on Saturday, a team they lost 1-0 to to open the season a couple weeks ago. Women's soccer, they're back uh, Sunday at Tulsa as well. Baseball, they've got a, a big one this weekend. Number one Ole Miss, they're, they're on the road at number one Ole Miss. Uh, looking to kind of 
to bounce back after a tough start and not an easy team to be playing to, to bounce back against. Not, I, not a great I, uh, yeah, but they'll have Lovelady back. And apparently, according yeah. to you, that was the problem. So I'm sure that you'll be seeing UCF sweeping the number one team in the nation this, uh, this weekend. You have like a very, very interesting way of putting words in my mouth. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, you you know, said we'll it. talk about that. I didn't say that was the reason they lost at all. That's not what I said. And we're not, you know, we're not going to argue about it. Next <laughs> Wednesday, they play at, uh, at Stetson, you know, a return game for, for baseball. Softball, uh, a weekend series against McNeese State at home. I have a doubleheader on Friday and then a game on Saturday. And then they'll play uh, UNF on Wednesday. Men's tennis, uh, back on the court Friday against Florida Gulf Coast. Women's tennis, as we mentioned, Saturday at number two, Texas. That's a big one. And finally, rowing starts their season against Tennessee on Saturday, as we just mentioned a few minutes ago. And yeah, there's a lot going on. And uh, I know we said last week, we mentioned how oh, you can catch us at the baseball game. You can catch us at uh, men's soccer on Saturday night, which we ended up not making it to. Sorry, that's my, my fault because of my allergies. But I'm not going to promise you that we're going to be at any games this week because UCF Twitter is mad at us because of Christian. It's Christian's fault that UCF Twitter is mad at us. Um, but yeah, I'm not even going to promise that we're going to be at any games. If we are, we probably won't tell you. We probably won't tell you that we're at the games either because then you'll blame us if, if they lose. So that's uh, that's not something that I don't even know if we're going to be sharing that going forward. Thanks, Christian. You're welcome. Thank you for that. Well, <laughs> we're going to do something new here to, to wrap things up. And Christian, you guys know Christian as the uniform guy. Like he just knows everything about UCF uniforms. He is the UCF, you know, the number one source for UCF uniforms. And he has been for, for a while now. And we're going to wrap up each show each week uh, with Christian giving his uniform of the week. So that week, um, you know, any, any sport, it could be any sport, a uniform that they wore that week. And it's, you know, Christian's favorite one of those. And I think, uh, I think I'm going to keep track of these and kind of keep up some stats and we'll see, you know, how many, you know, which sports are winning the most, which uniforms specifically are winning the most. So Christian, let's, uh, let's get your uniform of the week and then we'll get out of here. This is incredibly prestigious, obviously, and I'm sure the many teams are anxiously waiting to find out who takes the inaugural uniform of the week. Now, I just have to point out, this will usually be brief, but I've just got to say really quickly, two teams could have taken it this week and did not, and it was their fault. The first one was UCF baseball. UCF baseball wore their lovely, a beautiful, clean, white Pegasus uniforms. Amazing. It's got the big Pegasus right on the chest, all white, super streamlined, gorgeous. Then they used a gold helmet, which ruined the entire thing. So that's too bad. They were so close. Then softball did the same thing. Softball went anthracite tops with white pants, which, and they even tweeted a photo that they were going to go with a white helmet with the black night head decal on the side. Perfect. Instead, they went with a black helmet with a chrome gold UCF decal. First off, chrome gold decal at night, not good. Second, black helmet with a gray jersey? No. So th- both of those anthracite. teams could have anthracite. Excuse me. Oh my goodness, Bailey. Both teams could have taken it. Neither did. So it falls to what was, without a doubt, the best uniform in the kingdom this week, UCF men's soccer against USF. Gray shirts with the Pegasus sleeves and striping, black pants. It was, if you've watched, obviously if you've watched UCF football, it was very reminiscent to what UCF wore against Navy in 2017. Peter Helmet, Peter Jersey, black pants. It was kind of their version of that. Super, super gorgeous. Congratulations to UCF men's soccer for having the uniform of the week. Yeah, big congratulations, big ups to them. And yeah, those are, I say this, I think all the time, specifically to you, because you're the only one who will listen usually, but I just wish that UCF, and I don't think some fans actually share this, but I wish UCF would sell more of their like uniforms. So like, I wish I could go to the bookstore and get a soccer kit. I wish I could go, you know, they have one of the basketball jerseys. They have one of the baseball jerseys. I don't even think they wear anymore. I wish they had like 
Pegasus ones or the, you know, the stripe ones or the black UC, with the white UCF. I wish they had some of those. I just wish there was more options because they sell two or three football jerseys, I think, and maybe one basketball jersey, one baseball jersey. And I just wish that, like, I know maybe they probably, I might be the only one who cares, but I just wish I could go get a UCF soccer one. No, I'd buy one for soccer so fast. They have I mean, the so, gray one. Yeah, so they have, many nice shirts. It's just, they have it's a great, so... They have a great variety of them. And then that, that um, pewter one we saw on Saturday against South Florida, I think, is one of my favorites. And it's, it's a really nice one. So congratulations to them. They are the, you know, the inaugural uniform of the week winners. And, yeah, like I said, we'll be keeping track of that. And, and we'll, we'll keep that going week in and week out. But until next week, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. And you probably won't catch us at any of the UCF sporting events this week. So that's, that's Christian's fault. And I'm sorry to our listeners, but thank you so much for joining us on the Pegasus podcast. See you everyone.